The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I've been away for a little while, <clears throat> um, and yet I want to kind of continue the theme, the thread of the talks that I've been exploring in this class uh, for the last probably almost a year. Uh, I, we've been exploring the, noble, uh, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And um, at this point, we've been exploring um, the path factor of right effort on the Eightfold Path for several weeks uh, before I, I took my, my uh, month-long sabbatical. So um, just a little bit of a recap of, of a little bit of the Eightfold Path as a whole and a little recap of um, right effort. And so the Eightfold Path, we could say, are tools that support us in learning how to find happiness. I mean, that's essentially what the Buddha, um, the, the aim of the path, the aim of the entirety of the path is to find a very deep kind of happiness. Not the kind of happiness that we usually think of, the happiness of having things, but a deeper kind of happiness that comes with um, aligning ourselves with the, the truth that things are impermanent and unreliable. And there is a happiness that can come with that. And so there's a, a, the, the first part of the Eightfold Path is a kind of a, a shifting of our perspective, a shifting of our view around what actually would lead us to happiness. And we need to start with hearing some teachings, with hearing a little bit of um, um, essentially what the Buddha proposed around how, how a deeper happiness could be found. And his proposal is that greed, aversion, and delusion are what are in the way of our happiness. And that the freedom or the release of greed, aversion, and delusion is what creates this deeper happiness. So this whole path is really about letting go, not about acquiring. And yet even as we let go of those things, of greed, aversion, and delusion, as we begin to explore those um, qualities of mind that are associated with greed, aversion, and delusion, and there are many of them, frustration, anger, confusion, depression, hatred, rage, uh, pride, arrogance, those all, so many different kinds of uh, mind states associated with greed, aversion, and delusion. And uh, as we begin, our path begins as we begin to recognize there maybe there's another way. You know, the, the Buddha actually pointed out that there's another way, that it's possible to shift the mind to let go of those qualities of greed, aversion, and delusion. And what seems to happen as we let go of those qualities is that there's room, let's say, for a whole different set of qualities of love, of compassion, of confidence, of patience, of delight, of joy to begin to grow. But even those uh, qualities growing, that's not the aim of the path, really. I mean, that, that it happens naturally as the path as we begin to be curious about letting go of what's challenging, about the greed, aversion, delusion, letting go of those, they begin to naturally, these wholesome qualities, these beautiful qualities of mind begin to naturally develop and cultivate. And yet we also have to recognize that those too are impermanent and unreliable. 
that they are not the aim of the path. And so the entire um, path is around um, kind of, it's really around a letting go. And there's a, a, a kind of a happiness that comes from aligning ourselves with this truth that we can't control everything. That sounds like, how can that possibly be that I could be happy not being in control? And yet what we're constantly doing is fighting the, the reality of impermanence, the reality of unreliability, trying to navigate our world to create a kind of conditions that create some kind of stability or permanence for us for stretches of time. But, but it's, a, it's a project that is destined to fall apart at some point. And then we suffer because we have kind of pinned our happiness and have said, this is what's going to make me happy. Holding on to that thing, having this situation, that's what's going to make me happy. And so the, the, um, the process here is kind of about recognizing that, well, it's okay, it's fine to live our lives and to um, experience pleasant things and to navigate our way around unpleasant things. We can't... Um, um, hold on to any particular set of conditions that all the conditions are changing and as we can come into alignment with that truth and this is essentially the beginning of the Eightfold Path is kind of this very counterintuitive teaching that happiness comes not from holding on and getting what we want but from this letting go and in particular letting go of greed, aversion and delusion and letting go of holding on to beautiful things that come, the pleasant things that come also. There's a, a poem, I think, by Blake, and I don't have this in front of me, so it'll be a paraphrase, but it's something like, One who holds on to a joy doth the winged life destroy. But one who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. So that's kind of the, the, uh, the understanding that we can't hold on. But as we come into alignment with the truth of this change of conditions changing, we begin to find a different kind of happiness. And so the, the path begins with this kind of reframing, uh, kind of a, a, of a learning what is actually helpful and what is not helpful. And this um, supports us in kind of, uh, so the first two factors of the Eightfold Path are along these lines of beginning to get an understanding of what will lead us into a deeper kind of happiness. And that's the first factor of the Eightfold Path. And then the second wise intention first wise view, the second wise intention is kind of picking up okay, well, if that's the way it works, there's some things I got to do, got to do differently. And so that begins us to kind of pick up some of the practices, some of the tools, which this entirety of the Eightfold Path, we could call the set of tools that we can pick up. And the, the middle set of the Eightfold Path is, is kind of about aligning our relationships with the rest of the world, creating harmony in our communities, basically. Wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. Finding ways to engage in the world that are in alignment with this understanding of greed, aversion, and delusion not helpful. 
joy, happiness, um, generosity, patience. These are helpful. Harming, creating harm in the world is not helpful. If we, it, essentially, the, the, um, you know, the, the framing, the Four Noble Truths framing, is around um, suffering. That the qualities of greed, aversion, and delusion create suffering in our own minds and in the world. And so the, the release of greed, aversion, and delusion creates a release from that suffering both internally and also helps to not put that kind of suffering out into the world. And so that's part of what I think this middle section of the Eightfold Path is about, is uh, if we are interested in internally finding a kind of peace that's the end of this greed, aversion, and delusion, the end of this suffering, then we, we want to act in a way in the world and our communities that don't add that greed, aversion, and delusion to the world. Don't add that suffering to the world. And so this is really a kind of a coming into harmony, uh, coming into an ethical relationship with the world, with our communities, this middle section of the Eightfold Path. And the next piece is wise effort. And wise effort is... um, so while you know the the um, the middle section, the ethical section, or the coming into harmony with our communities section, we could say wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. This is a set of tools that help us to look outward in how we engage in the world. And the uh, wise effort we could say is uh, a set of tools that helps us to look internally at these qualities of mind. Uh, tools that help us to um, internally uh, recognize what is, what are these qualities of greed, aversion, and delusion. And the, the four wise efforts, which I'll just briefly name here, um, kind of like there's two on the side of letting go of the uh, qualities related to greed, aversion, and delusion. And there are two on the side of um, uh, cultivating those qualities that can begin to arise in the absence of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so that includes love and joy and uh, compassion, balance of mind, tranquility, patience, peace. And so the the wise effort has both sides. It it looks at what supports us to let go of the difficult ones and what supports us to cultivate or maintain the beautiful ones. And so the wise effort really does ground in that very first teaching, uh, the very first piece of what is it that creates suffering in our lives? And so we need to begin to come to an understanding of these qualities of mind that do not lead us in the direction of this deeper kind of happiness. And so this is those qualities connected to greed, aversion, and delusion. And the teaching of wise effort says that we should um, start by, or there's four, two on the side of the, uh, the difficult qualities or the unwholesome qualities, that we should... Um, avoid the arising of those states 
when they've not arisen. And so that is basically, you know, just kind of tracking, keeping, keeping track of um, what gets us in trouble and seeing if we can avoid situations like that. Now this can be, this can be um, kind of some of the more uh, obvious things. And like I think the, the teachings on ethics are, are tools in this regard, you know, to support not getting into a situation, for instance, where um, uh, we're creating suffering in the world because of what we've said to somebody, a harsh speaking to somebody then we can use these um, tools of wise speech, refraining from harsh speech. So this is, this is a condition that helps us to not create suffering in the world and not create it in our own minds. You know, how many of us, what we've spoken, we've spoken kind of rashly or quickly or without thinking so, so much to somebody said something and have regretted it have suffered because of it, have seen the suffering of others because of it. And so the, the, the tool of, um, you know, kind of pausing, reflecting when we can to use mindfulness to help us to not speak harshly. This is, a, this is in this realm of wise effort that we, we use some, uh, some mindfulness and some understanding about what gets us into trouble and uh, refrain from doing those things. Avoid doing those things. This is a huge topic and I've spent several weeks on it in the past so I'm not going to go into it so much right now. Um, so that's, you know, that's a, that's, that's a piece is that we, we, we kind of take inventory. What gets us into trouble? And then we explore what are the conditions that lead to that and maybe we can change those conditions. The, the second part of wise effort is um, um, abandoning, is the word that's used, abandoning these unwholesome states when they have arisen. And this part is, I mean, we, when we think of the word abandon, and this is really, we could say the word is let go. We let go of the unwholesome. We let go of states of mind associated with greed, aversion, and delusion. In that letting go, um, that letting go, uh, you know, we might think it means I'm supposed to stop doing that. You know, that's the way it may work in the world. If um, you're doing something and you see it's creating a trouble, we can sometimes, you know, say, okay, I'm not going to do that. And we can consciously stop doing it. When we get into our mind states, Something's arising in our mind. Aversion, anger, confusion, a depression, frustration arising in our minds. Simply telling ourselves, oh, I shouldn't feel that way, doesn't usually work. We can't simply flip a switch and stop having a mind state arise. But what we can do is, is something that's about the next factor of the Eightfold Path, actually, wise mindfulness we can begin to explore with mindfulness what is it like to be a human being that's feeling this quality of mind? What is it like to be a human being feeling angry or frustrated or confused or arrogant? What is that like? This is a different relationship to that mind state than simply kind of 
following the mind state. And so when we're angry, when the, mind, when the mind is full of anger, we tend to follow the anger. We tend to act out of that anger. That tends to reinforce it. With mindfulness, we can be aware of it and not act out of it. That, what that tends to do, is that we start to feel <clears throat> the, uh, what that state of mind does to us. How it feels inside. In the, um, I really noticed this, actually, as I, when I was first starting practice. Uh, anger was a huge um, issue for me. And, and I would say it's really what got me into the practice, because it was really ruling my life and um, when I heard this instruction of well don't follow the anger just know that it's there I I didn't really trust it I thought what good is that going to do isn't it just going to make me more angry but there's a huge difference between following the anger following through on it and being aware oh this is the experience of anger And that difference is partly because when we're following through on these difficult states, these unhelpful states of mind, we are believing their story that if you follow me, then you'll get happiness at the end of this. So in my anger, there was something around, you know, well, if I'm angry at this person, they're going to get really miserable and then I'll feel better because they're so miserable. That was what my mind was saying. And I was not noticing the pain of the anger itself internally because the mind was kind of uh, leaping forward to the time when the result would make me feel better. The result of how I had been at, of following through on the anger would make me feel better. And so the, um, the mind had... Has, was not, and this is what I really began to see, the mind had not been aware of how painful these, uh, these difficult states were, in particular, in this case, anger, how painful it was. And as we start to see that, as our minds start to get that information, oh, this anger hurts me. And the Buddha used this analogy that Anger is like picking up a hot coal to throw at somebody. You're doing it because you want to burn the other person, but you get burned first. And that's what I began to discover through being mindful. And what I also began to discover through that process was that there's something about the mind actually recognizing what's going on. Oh, this, this quality of, of anger, this quality of greed, aversion, or delusion, whatever it is, this quality is burning here. And our minds don't want to burn. And so they begin, our minds, kind of the, the natural processes of our mind want to move in a direction of ease and peace and happiness. And when, when, when our minds get the information that what it's doing is creating a burn, the mind begins to find its way how to let go of it. And so the, the practice of becoming aware of our difficult states is is a way of abandoning. It is a support for abandoning. So there's also a lot to say about this, which I've talked about in the past. Um, so the, the next part of, 
of wise effort is about cultivating and maintaining the wholesome and beautiful qualities. These are qualities that are associated with non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. I've named some of them. Love, compassion, equanimity, kindness, joy, patience. And the, the teachings say that we, we um, the, the teaching on wise effort says that we should uh, cultivate those wholesome qualities that have not yet arisen, and we should um, maintain those wholesome qualities that have arisen. And this sounds um, kind of natural, or, you know, of course, this makes a lot of sense. And yet I've seen in my own mind a kind of resistance to this. It's funny, because we're so uh, hooked into our habits associated with getting what we want, getting rid of what we don't want, we can have a little impatience about these wholesome qualities. And sometimes we can even have some uh, unfamiliarity with them. They can be, um, they can feel uncomfortable even. At one point I was sitting at my, my, my breakfast table and I was just being kind of present and eating my breakfast with a kind of a, an ease. And, and suddenly this wave of joy just arose. And it was strong. And it was a stronger kind of joy than I'd experienced in like normal, ordinary daily life. And and my mind went something like, whoa, I can't handle this. This is intense. This is too strong. And then there was a moment of wisdom where the mind kind of dropped in. uh, It's okay. It won't last. And, and that actually let the mind be a little more at ease around this kind of rush of joy. And then it kind of, um, kind of a lot of emotions, the, the unwholesome ones as well as the wholesome ones, can have a wave-like quality. They can come up kind of strong and then they, they can kind of break and then flow out. And that's what this felt like. It felt like a wave of joy that got really strong. And then it kind of and on the other side of that wave was just like a kind of a peaceful happiness. And if I had suppressed, which the kind of the initial tendency was like, whoa, clamp down on that, I can't deal with that. If I'd suppressed that, that that wouldn't have had the opportunity to kind of live its life. So the, um, the, the teachings around right effort um, I want to kind of uh, bring in another um, uh, another teaching, another simile, and another teaching that kind of describes how these four right efforts kind of are along the entire path. In a way, it almost encapsulates what the path is, these four right efforts. We look at, first of all, we have to start by looking at what's challenging, what's difficult. And as we do that, as the mind begins to um, refrain from those unwholesome things and to begin to abandon through this very gentle mindfulness of not a pushing away, not an aversion to these difficult states, then as those things begin to recede, there's room for these wholesome states, which, you know, I wouldn't say that they're they're kind of... um, always there, but they are definitely blocked by 
the, the condition of greed, aversion, and delusion being present prevents them from arising. And as the greed, aversion, and delusion diminish, there's more conditions available for us to uh, not only um, uh, notice them arising, but to continue there, uh, you know, to, to cultivate and maintain them. So some of my own path has been, uh, as the greed, aversion, and delusion diminishes, to begin to recognize the very quiet ease or peace or patience that's there, that, that, that has the possibility to arise in the absence of those more um, uh, obvious or dramatic emotions of anger and confusion and frustration, there can be a subtler kind of ease or peace or happiness that begins to be there. And we can begin to cultivate these. And this, uh, this direction is described in one, in one sutta. It's kind of described, I, I, I was thinking about this teaching, and it's, it's like the entire arc of the practice, is, it can be almost framed through these four right efforts. And so I'll start, I'll just, again, I'll summarize this pretty quickly because there's only about 20 minutes left. Um, but the, the teaching begins, it's a, it's a sutta in um, a book of um, teachings of the Buddha called the Majjhima Nikaya, the middle-length discourses of the Buddha. And it is called the simile of the cloth. And in it, the Buddha begins with the simile about a cloth that has stains on it. And he says, if you take that cloth that's stained and you dip it in a dye, is it going to look evenly dyed? Is it going to be a beautiful, evenly dyed cloth? And it, it won't because the stained parts pick up the dye in a more dark way than the non-stained parts. And so it, be, it looks blotchy, this cloth. And he said, but if you take that cloth and you scrub the, the stains out of it. And the word for stain in the Pali is kilesa. Um, and this word kilesa is used later in the suttas to refer to those states of our mind that get in the way of our path, that get in the way of the happiness, the deeper kind of happiness that's possible. And so he says, if you scrub, if you do some work and, you know, scrub to get those stains out, and then you dip the dye into the, the cloth, into the dye, then it will kind of take up the dye more evenly. And he goes on to use this analogy in relationship to this path of practice. He says, it is like our minds have stains. They are stained by these um, these qualities that are related to greed, aversion, and delusion. And he lists a whole bunch of them. Um, What are the things that stain the mind? Covetousness and unrighteous greed, ill will, anger, resentment, contempt, insolence, envy, avarice, deceit, fraud, obstinacy, rivalry, conceit, arrogance, vanity, negligence. He has a whole list of them. And what he suggests there. Is, so the work there, so these are stains in the mind, so it's like with the cloth, there is some work that we need to do. 
largely, in my own experience, that work has to do with the willingness to be with it. The willingness to, when uh, envy arises, to know, oh, this is what envy feels like. In that place of knowing that, we can make a choice not to follow through on it, not to reinforce it, but to see, oh, this is what it feels like to be envious. It doesn't actually feel good to feel envy. And as I said earlier, you know, our minds begin to do the adjustment. Our minds begin to understand how to let that go. And also we we get the benefit of impermanence when there's something arising in our minds like this, envy arising in our minds. If we don't kind of keep it going, if we don't keep acting on it, it's like we have our foot on the gas pedal with the envy. We keep the movement of it going. If we don't do that, but instead just kind of use this uh, curiosity, what is it like to be a human being feeling envious? Then the, um, the quality is not being fueled, and it will, because of impermanence, because all qualities of mind that arise eventually pass away, it will pass away. And so some patience. Sometimes we can actually see one of these qualities of mind end. A few times in my, in my practice, I've, no, I've seen this. Uh, a, a desire, a wanting to, to see something or, or to follow through on something. Watching that desire, feeling the tension. And then seeing the moment that that desire releases. It felt like I was released from a vice grip. There was a real learning in that moment of the, of the suffering or the constriction, constriction associated with that wanting and the ease that came with the release from it. So sometimes we can actually see the ending of these states. And there's an amazing kind of uh, aha moment that can happen in that. But there's other times when it's more along the lines of we hang out with something you know, it gets a little bit weaker. And then it's essentially our mind picks up something else and forgets about it. And then it lets it go. It kind of lets it go in the background. And this is fine. You know, so sometimes we don't actually get to see it let go. But later on, after we've been observing it, and then later on we realize, oh, you know, I'm not caught by that thing anymore. It's not there. It's not here now. I didn't see it go away, but it's not here now. And so we know, we know that it's gone. So the, um, the teaching in the sutta suggests that we abandon these, these states. But again, it's not about aversion. It's not about pushing them away. It's really about this practice of being with. The, um, uh, the next part of the sutta, so, and this takes work. So this, this activity of being with. You know, and we can think about it almost like the need to keep the, um, you know, if, we're, if we've got the cloth and we've got the stain on the cloth, um, we can, you know, sometimes we can just soak it in a soapy water and the stain will come out. But often we do have to rub. You know, we have to stay in contact, keep the, the you know, stay in contact with the, the cloth at the stain, the side of the stain and rub and rub. So there's an energy that we, that we put into that. There's an effort that we put into that, staying in contact with. Sometimes we can stay in contact with for a while and then let it sit in the soapy water. 
So sometimes that might be what it's like when we are with something for a while and then our mind moves to something else. The, the, the kind of inclination towards the letting go allows there to be a release of that difficult state. When um, the mind has let go of a difficult state like this, the, the next thing that the, the Buddha points to in terms of the path of the unfolding of practice, he says, confidence will arise in the teachings, in the Buddha, in the Dharma, in the Sangha. Confidence will arise that this is, this is useful. And I can say this too from, from my own direct experience, that very early in my practice when I was looking at that anger, you know, just, just seeing Okay, actually, when I don't follow through on the anger, but I do just allow it to be there, I'm seeing there be a kind of a a slow, gentle releasing of that anger over time, such that, you know, initially when I started this process, I was really um, caught by the anger. And it was so painful. I was non-functional. I would find myself frozen just in the in the world of that anger and not functioning. And what happened over the course of the first few weeks of doing this simple process of recognizing, okay, wow, this is what it's like to be angry. Oh, this doesn't feel very good. I don't know what to do with this. Okay, I guess I go back to work. It was very simple, the the early part of my practice around this anger. But within a couple of weeks, I began to notice I was no longer getting into that frozen state. So there had been a releasing. I hadn't done anything other than notice it. But the mind had started to release. It started to kind of notice the, the, the pattern of anger earlier in the process so that it didn't have a chance to amp up. It didn't have a chance for me to put my foot on the gas pedal and go speeding 100 miles an hour down the anger road. It would stop much earlier. And so confidence did arise like oh yeah this is useful this is helpful and then there was one moment in seeing of uh you know actually i saw in a moment uh, the the mind think a thought about the person that i was angry with and the mind recognizing oh yeah if i keep thinking those thoughts that's going to head right into anger hmm let that go and the mind let that go the mind let go of that direction without me saying, oh, I better let that go. It's kind of like the mind knew, yeah, that way lies a lot of suffering. Let's not do that. This is how this process of being with our difficult states actually helps the mind begin to let go. And so the, the, the mind let go of that direction. And in that moment, huge confidence arose. It's like, yes, this these tools, these tools work. I'm going to keep doing these tools. Keep, keep exploring this direction. There's a lot here. And so this is the next piece. We do this work. Initially, we may have to kind of take this on faith. We have to, you know, borrow the confidence of our friends or, or our teachers who say, hey, this works. You know, you may not believe it, but give it a try. You know, it, and I certainly had to do that. I did not see how this would work. But within a few weeks, this confidence 
internal confidence, this confidence of seeing that it works, that was there. And so the, the, uh, the confidence is, is a piece that kind of, it, it, it gets us more engaged. It helps to keep us looking at these difficult states more. But it also, this confidence is itself a beautiful quality. It's a wholesome quality that supports our path. And the, the, the next piece of the teaching is, this is a, this is a, a single paragraph and it, there's a lot in it. And so I'm going to look at exploring these qualities over the next weeks that I'm here, which will be spread out because I'm going away to teach a retreat. Um, When one gains inspiration and confidence, one gains gladness connected with the teachings. When one is glad, joy is born. When one is joyful, a tranquility can follow. In one who's tranquil, feels pleasure. In one who feels pleasure, the mind becomes concentrated. And so this piece is, is about the mind beginning to take up the wholesome qualities like the cloth takes up the dye when it's dropped into the vat of dye without the stain. And so the work of the abandoning, letting go of the unwholesome creates the conditions for the mind to just begin to take up these beautiful qualities. The, the way this is framed, in gaining confidence and inspiration in the Dharma, one gains gladness. We may have to, and in my experience, I did have to recognize that gladness. It had to be pointed out to me, actually the joy, the happiness, kind of the, 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 they had to be pointed out to me. It wasn't just that with the abandoning of the, um, um, the difficulty that the mind naturally began to recognize these wholesome things. Somebody actually had to point out to me, hey, that's, that's a peace. That's a tranquility. That's calm, by the way, what you're experiencing. And, and as that began to be, oh, as, as the mind could begin to orient, oh, that's calm. Oh, actually, that feels pretty good. Oh, the, there's a relaxation in the heart and mind. That began, that, that wasn't like obvious. I mean, so the happiness that we're heading for is, is a subtle kind of happiness. It is not the happiness of having something, of that real like, oh, yeah. Although... Although there are times, as, and certainly I began to see as I oriented toward the subtlety of these, these wholesome qualities, they can get very, very strong. Like I described that joy getting very, very strong. And so this is described as a very natural unfolding. It's not described so much as the work that has to happen for the uh, um, eliminating the stain. You know, the, 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 analogy, the analogy is beautiful in this way. The, the cloth is stained. We have to scrub. We have to work. We have to put it in soap and water. We have to agitate it. You know, it's like we've got to stay in contact with it. 
to have the stain come out of the cloth. Likewise, we need to do some work, staying present with our difficulty, not giving in to them, not repressing them, doing this kind of work in the middle, this middle path. And yet the next part, the, the, in, the, in the work to dye the cloth, all you need to do in the dye is drop the cloth in the water and the cloth takes up the dye. And very similarly, the, the, um, it's not so much about working really hard to have the joy and the confidence and the gladness arise. It's described as a natural result. And yet there, there is a little bit of work in orienting to recognize, oh, these are wholesome qualities. This is helpful. So it's, it's not the same kind of rub and scrub. It's more like, oh, this is calm. Oh, this is what this feels like. And so following the, uh, the mind becoming concentrated, the next piece is um, basically that with that concentration, it's much harder for the mind to want to pick up things that it had... Um, it, it's, much, it's much harder for it to want to pick up things that make it stained again. It's like, oh yeah, no, not going to do that. <laughs> oh, no, no, not tempted by that. And then in the, the, next, the next piece is that one abides pervading the mind with, the, the, pervading the world with love, with compassion, with joy, and with equanimity. Again, this is described as the natural arising, like the dye. Again, I think we do need to recognize these things, and there's a whole set of tools around helping us to recognize these qualities of love and compassion and joy and equanimity. And that is something that, that we'll go into in the, in the coming weeks. And yet this is not the end of the path. It, it, I mean, it's pretty good <laughs> when we can feel this kind of love that's not dependent on getting something in return. When our heart resonates with joy, with somebody else's joy. When our heart aches with the sorrow of somebody else's sorrow. It's beautiful. when the mind can be balanced about these joys and sorrows, not pushing away or holding on to. This is all, it's, it's beautiful. And yet, the Buddha points to the next piece, that basically we need to recognize these two are not things to hold on to. It's so, it's so tempting. I mean, our mind has had this habit of holding on to things that make us feel good as the way to happiness for so long that when this set of, of beautiful qualities begin to arise, we want to hold on to them. But guess what? That doesn't feel very good either. It actually shrinks those wholesome qualities. Like Blake's poem said, one who holds on to a joy doth the winged life destroy. And so it is, uh, we, we have to kind of 
in this process of seeing all these wholesome qualities arise, we have to um, uh, begin to explore the letting go with these as well. Because it is, it is so... Uh, it's so easy, it's so natural in so many ways to feel like, oh, this is it, this is what I want, this is what... And yet the very holding on to that is going to create stress, create suffering in our system. And so we begin to learn by seeing that, that it is just this tumble of experience, of pleasant, unpleasant experience. And the alignment with that tumble, without holding on to anything, we tend to be experiencing much more these wholesome qualities. And the mind becomes free from greed, aversion, and delusion. So we'll continue exploring in particular the side of the wholesome um, going forward, the, the wholesome size of wise, wise effort, because we spent quite a bit of time looking at the, uh, the Kalesa side, looking at the stains. And I want to take quite a bit of time to look at these wholesome qualities, to look at love and joy and compassion and equanimity, uh, I, I may just use this 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 list, you know, the confidence. Start with confidence, and then, and then the gladness, the rapture, the tranquility, and pleasure, and concentration. So, going through these over the the next weeks that I'm here to um, to explore them, because I think hearing about them, at least in my own experience, hearing about them, what they're like, what. Uh, uh, how we can begin to see them, what we can do to support their growth. This was necessary for me to hear this information. So there's a few minutes if there's any comments or questions um, about anything I've said. Yeah, and would you pass the mic back just behind you? Um, you gave some beautiful examples and brought to life wise effort for me, like I can visualize it as a whole. You mentioned four aspects, and I'm not clear. Is there a succinct way to think of what are the four? There is, yeah. What, I can, I can say it. I can say it. It's, it's a little, it's, it's a little um, uh, wordy, but... Because I was guessing, here it is. and then I was like, diverted by me guessing what if I had to think <laughs> of the four. So, so, so the first one is the effort to avoid unwholesome states that have not yet arisen. There's three negatives in that sentence, so it's, it's like kind of complicated to wrap your mind around. <laughs> so the effort to avoid unwholesome states that have not arisen. So refrain from getting into trouble, that first one. Uh, the second is abandon or let go of unwholesome states that have arisen. So that's the one where when it's coming up, 
we come into a new relationship with it than just following on it. So that's the first two. Um, The third is the effort to cultivate wholesome states that have not yet arisen. So to to, um, kind of orient or turn our mind in the direction of, it's like to recognize, yes, you know, equanimity is a quality that's useful to cultivate. Let me do something to cultivate that. Mindfulness, a wholesome quality, useful to do something to cultivate that. You know, when we sit down to meditate, this is what we're doing. We're trying to bring into being qualities that have not yet arisen. So that's that third one, the effort to cultivate wholesome states that have not arisen. And the fourth is the effort to maintain wholesome states that have arisen. So that's when, when there is a, um, a wholesome quality arising, we look at what supports it continuing. And paradoxically, that the thing that most supports it continuing, not trying to hold on, but just being mindful of it. Because what that does really is, um, so being, like being mindful of unwholesome states, when we're mindful of unwholesome states, we feel how painful they are, and the mind begins to orient towards, yeah, not going there. Uh, The more we attune to wholesome states, so this is the experience of of kindness. This is the experience of joy. Our system kind of rings with that. It feels, it feels, uh, it feels pleasant, but it also is kind of like the mind goes, oh yeah, this feels like a direction that's helpful. And so that kind of being aware of those states supports their continuance by just kind of aligning with this is, um, this is a direction that the mind kind of actually wants to move in. So, it's, uh, so that's uh, uh, avoiding unwholesome states that have not arisen, abandon unwholesome states that have arisen, cultivate wholesome states that have not arisen, and maintain wholesome states that have arisen. I should try to come up with a word. Let's see, refrain, abandon... Cultivate, R-A-C, I don't know, another word. Anyway, yeah, so, so sometimes rack it's... Em. <laughs> some, <laughs> rack them, right. Rack them, R-A-C-M. Right. Not a good one. <laughs> I'll think about it. Right. Sometimes it's useful to have a, a, an acronym to help remember those things. Yeah, thanks for the question. Thank you, that was great. A couple more minutes if there's other questions or it is I think okay. um, I was interested in what you said about when you were sitting that one time and had that wave of joy, and in thinking about um, the stains and rubbing them out, getting rid of them, kind of getting to clean cloth and then embracing uh uh, better efforts or um, do you think it's possible to have gotten to that wave of joy that you experienced without having had to let go of like the anger that you had You'd, we're talking about like for me control is a big thing yeah. and so I've 
been learning to release that and there is such a sense of relief and they're almost like two sides of a coin exactly i don't feel like i could have gotten to that great sense of joy or relief without having been deeply mired into my effort to control everything yeah yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the awareness of that being mired in the effort to control it is what leads to the release. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would say is, I mean, so it sounds a little bit like you're saying, can we experience some of these wholesome qualities without having completely abandoned the unwholesome? Yes. <laughs> so this is where the analogy doesn't quite work. Because with the analogy, you have to completely clear it. Right, you have to get rid of all of the stains before it's going to take up the dye. It's much more layered. It's more like there's there's like a, a layer of experience that we begin to let go of uh, certain ways that our mind is stuck with things, and and as those release, there's a kind of joy and delight and happiness, and that joy and delight and happiness then supports us in looking at the next layer. So it's much more like layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of cloth right. that, that become um, freed, purified as we go. So yes, it absolutely, it absolutely, uh, it feels very cyclical or spiral nature that there is as soon, I mean like just that very first thing that I noticed like when the mind said, oh, I'm not going there. You know, like the, the, the mind um, heading towards anger, thinking that thought and then dropping it. There was so much relief there and so much confidence and so much um, like, you know, a sense of, wow, this is, this is a direction, you know, that that was just the very beginning you know, but there was some joy there. You know, there was, I actually sank to the floor in gratitude with that experience. You know, was, so, so that, but that was just the beginning. <laughs> you know, it was clearly that anger was not gone. It had gone in that moment. But in that moment, the mind, the way they sometimes talk about it is in that moment, the mind is, is pure. There aren't any stains in the mind at that moment. So it can take up that mm-hmm. happiness. And yet the, you know, the conditions come back for us to go back into the anger and we just keep, keep going. Yeah, thank you for the question. And it's time to stop. So thank you for your attention. <laughs>